Coming to you live. Live. And podcasting around the globe. You're listening to the Deal Farm Podcast. Guaranteed to tickle your real estate loving ear holes. And now, here's your host, world-renowned TV heartthrob and investor extraordinaire, Ken Corsini. Hey, this is Ken Corsini with the Best Deal Ever Show, and today I am joined by my good friend, Anna Kelly. Anna, how you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. So great to be here with you today. Yeah, good to be with you as well. Now, you are out of the Pennsylvania market, is that right? I am. I'm in a little town called Hershey, Pennsylvania, where the chocolate's made. I'm sure some people have heard of Hershey, Pennsylvania. That's amazing. You know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I actually grew up going to Oakdale, California, where the other Hershey chocolate factory is. So my aunt and uncle lived. It was like my favorite thing to do as a kid was go and do the tour of the chocolate factory. Oh, it's awesome. And I bet it smelled really great too. It's, that's what's amazing. People don't realize like the chocolate factory, you can smell chocolate for miles away, right? <laughs> yeah, but you get the benefit of the smell plus the sun. It's a little colder here. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, in California, it's a little sunnier. Now, how close do you, how actual, like where do you live in, regard, in relation to the actual factory? I'm about five minutes away from the factory. So can you smell it from your house? Um, on a certain, certain whiff and a certain day, depending on when the wind blows, yes. That's amazing. Now, do you guys do the tour? Have you done the tour so many times you're sort of over it? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I have four kids, eight to 16. So when they were little, we were like, okay, it's a dreary day. What do you do? You go to the, the chocolate world and, and do the little cow ride and tour. And yeah, so we wore it out, but, but they still enjoy it from time to time. Oh yeah. I, I'm a, and they, of course they gave you the free chocolate bar at the end of the tour, right? Yes. That's the yeah, best part. <laughs> that's the best part. That's all I remember as a kid. Well, so that's what's awesome. real estate? What is real estate like there in Hershey, Pennsylvania? You know, it's really this hidden gem, Ken, that I just am so thankful for. So basically, you know, it, I moved from Houston, Texas, where there's a ton of competition and, sure. you know, a lot of stuff happening. And generally, real estate investors are thinking about these, you know, these big MSAs where they can get deals. Um, but these little areas like Hershey, it's actually very uh, financially and geo, uh, demographically diverse. And so you've got a lot of different employers other than just Hershey. Um, we've got manufacturing and industrial trucking, um, huge medical um, and, and technology, all kinds of stuff. So we have a, a very diverse upper scale economy, hmm. which makes for really great, you know, single family home flips, rentals, larger apartments. It's just really a great space where people want to live and, and they'll pay more money to live here than than elsewhere. Interesting. Now, where is it geographically in the state? I can't really picture where it is. It is very south central. It's about okay. an hour southwest from Philadelphia. Okay, I gotcha. And does it feel somewhat rural then where you are? Or does it feel more metropolitan? You know, coming from Houston, Texas, it was like culture shock, truly really? rural. You know, really? it, it's, it's known as Amish country. We see horses oh, and buggies yeah. on the roads, you know. Oh, yeah. So it's growing. Um, it's about 25 minutes from Harrisburg, which is the capital of Pennsylvania. But it's nothing like an Atlanta, a Houston, a Philadelphia. It, it's really a small market. That's pretty cool. So now most of your investing, is it typically single family? And are you investing there in Hershey? Or what's your business model look like? Sure. So I have five different REI business models, just Man. different sources of cash flow. So I started nice. out buying and flipping single family homes in this area. Uh -huh. um, I had gotten into the market in Houston doing the same thing. And so I, I did some flips and then I kind of migrated primarily into going through the flip process, but keeping them as rentals. And so, 
you know, I update them, renovate them, cash out, refi, and, and then keep them as rentals. So I have rentals anywhere from singles to duplexes, a lot of four unit apartment buildings, hmm. um, some vacation rentals. And now I've started to scale up into the much larger multifamily space. But I'll wow. do any deal that's a really great deal in my area where I can make cash. Yeah. It kind of fits the right bucket. Yeah. So uh, what's your primary model right now? Is it still kind of flipping or, what, or are you now mostly focused on multifamily? I'm mostly focused on multifamily investing. Okay. And we're basically doing a flip in these multifamily deals because we typically buy them and hold them for three to five years yep. and reposition them. So we're going through all of the updates to the interiors and the exteriors just like you would on a smaller flip. Yeah. Um, it's just that they're valued based more on the operations and the net operating income yeah. than they are on a comp basis. Sure. And so we're basically flipping apartment buildings instead of flipping single family houses. Yeah, absolutely. And are most of those apartment buildings in Pennsylvania or are you kind of all over the country? I'm starting to move all over the country. You know, I started out doing mostly things here in central Pennsylvania and I still do. Um, but I just actually purchased 250 units across two apartment buildings there in Atlanta in your area. Right in my backyard. That's fantastic. That's right. How did you find deals in Atlanta? Are you just working with a, like a nationwide broker? You know, this, this particular deal, I had a partner who sourced the deal and okay. I was brought in to, to help with the due diligence and capital raise and I'm, I'm handling the asset management. So a lot of times in these larger apartment deals, you're really working with a, a team of a couple of people who are the general partners. Maybe somebody finds the deal, somebody, you know, helps run the deal. Someone has a, a more of a capital raise uh, function, but it's really a team sport more yeah. so than, than the single family flips. No, definitely. Hey, so what is, so what's the pricing like in Hershey, Pennsylvania? What can you buy single family houses for? What do they rent for? Just curious. Sure. So I'd say a class A, you know, newer, nicer home in, in the Hershey area is going to be between four hundred fifty dollars and $700,000 for a four bedroom. Oh, damn. Um, that's more than I expected. You, it's, it's very nice and very high end. Now, if you're moving to a, like a class B area kind of nearby, a little nicer than for first home, first time home buyer, but new builds, you're looking in the 400,000 range. And then the first time home buyer range, which we really try to target for most of our flips are somewhere in the 150 to $175,000 range. Okay. And that's, so that's where most of your rentals are in that price. Yes. Point? Yes. Yeah. And you. even a few that are smaller. We have a lot of townhouses in this area. So I've got, you know, multiple townhouses that right now would, would sell for somewhere between 125 and 135,000. Okay. And what sort of rents do you get on something like that? They cash flow pretty well? They do. Typically, I try to be all in at about 100,000, 110 and get a rent of about $1,200 a month okay, for yeah, those types of townhouses. That's great. You're beating the 1% ratio there still. So sure. that's fantastic. Interesting market. That's so funny. I've never met anybody from like rural Pennsylvania that's really kicking butt in real estate. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it makes it really great too because I don't have a ton of competition. Now that's kind of changing, yeah. you know, with a lot of great shows like yours where people are seeing what you can do. We have more and more people right. wanting to, to get in, yeah. um, but they're, they're really, you know, bidding up the prices. So, so the hardest part about it right now is just getting a good property at a good good price point. Yeah. Um, but, but once you're in, you know, you basically have to be able to take on the, the dirtier pro properties that nobody else wants. Yeah. And, and that's where you make your deals in this area. It's definitely, I think nationwide, you, you could safely say it's more competitive right now than it's been in a long time to find a deal. For sure. What are you guys doing to source deals? Just out of curiosity. 
So locally here, a lot of it's been word of mouth. I get a lot of estate attorneys now bringing me deals before they, you know, have their clients put them on the market. Mm -hmm. um, I have a lot of local brokers and realtors who know the kind of properties I look for. And um, I've gotten a ton of off-market deals that way. Wow. I also mail. Um, I, I, I've kind of found my sweet spot is four unit apartment buildings. I like those even better than my singles in terms of the ones that I'm going to buy and hold. Yep. And I'm one of the, I own more of those in, in my area than anybody else. Wow. So brokers and, and clients now call me for those. And then I, I target mail those properties, you know, pretty often as well. So yeah. um, a lot of it's word of mouth and off market is what I go for. But I also find properties on auction websites, you know, even properties listed in MLS, because again, I'm not in a major metro where there's tons of competition. Yeah, right. That's like everybody else. You just beat the streets, have, you know, a bunch of different fishing poles in the, in the pond and figure out what works. Absolutely. That's cool. So you've done a lot of deals. Obviously, you've ventured now into multifamily. Is there a particular deal that stands out as your best deal ever? Sure. My, my best deal ever, for sure, is the first larger apartment building that I did um, that I was able to find and bring in two JV partners. So we were able to buy a 73-unit apartment building in Hershey, PA okay. that had 44 storage units attached to it. Yeah. Um, and basically, we, are, we bought it at a great price point. It was off market. Uh -huh. And we are going in and, and basically going through a, a minor flip on these units, updating units, raising the rents, uh, cutting the expenses to raise the value. And that will allow us to make a couple million dollars in a few years, you know, on the sell, as well as cash flow on that thing, you know, for the three to five years that we'll own it. Wow. Okay. So let's talk about how'd you source it? Where'd the deal come from? The deal was a word of mouth deal. Again, um, I had an acquaintance relationship with somebody that I ran into in town and, you know, they had asked me about my rentals and I told them I was moving into larger buildings and I was looking for a larger building to take down. And she said, you know, my husband's about to sell a building. We're listing it next week. We have the marketing package and it's ready to go. And as soon as I knew where it was, I said, please give me the opportunity to see it first. We set up an appointment. I saw it the next day and I preempted it going on the market by negotiating a deal at his kitchen table. Wow. <laughs> it was Huge. amazing. Yeah. So what did you end up uh, negotiating the, the purchase for? So we purchased it for $6.5 million, which was just a little under $85,000 a door, not including the, um, the self-storage units. Okay. And that was about a 6.3 cap. So when you're buying apartment buildings, yep. instead of on a comp, you're buying them basically at a cap rate or a market rate. That's um, a multiplier of the rents, uh, the net operating income. So we yep. got it at a really good cap rate for today's market for the type of apartment building it is. But really the sweet thing was we had so much upside in the rents because the seller had owned these buildings since they built them in 1985 and wow. just were not raising rents on their people. They didn't have a mortgage and they kind of had the attitude of the devil you know is better than the devil you don't. Yep. Keep your tenants there, keep them happy. And so our real upside, even though we didn't get it at an amazing cap rate, the, the key thing was we knew we had significant upside in rent bumps, even yep. without doing a whole lot of, of uh, renovations to the units. Wow. What sort of condition was it in? Excellent condition. Really? Slightly dated um, uh -huh. in that, you know, they had older cabinets from the 80s. Um, but other than that, they kept them very nice and clean. They just had nothing sexy about them. It was no bells and whistles, you know, darker wood doors, antique white paint, 
yeah. um, basic carpet, oak cabinets in the bathroom, just, just nothing that just wows you. Yeah. But the exteriors were in amazing condition. They had just redone the roofs and the patios and the siding and the parking lot. So there was truly almost nothing for us to do on the exterior other than power wash. Wow, that's huge. And it's in your own backyard too. So what, did that, what was that like? I mean, going from single family to a $6.5 million multifamily. And that it, surely it was, was a little nerve-wracking. Amazing. You know, it's something I'd wanted to do for a long time, Ken, but I just didn't have the capital to take down something that large. Yep. And I understood syndication because I had an SEC background for my corporate job mm -hmm. um, that I was still working at that time. But I really didn't think that I could get into that large of a deal without having a significant amount of capital. So we needed about $2.2 million for mm -hmm. the down payment and all of the, you know, closing costs and the updates that we were going to put in. Yep. And so it was super exciting to be able to find the deal and say, okay, now I have a deal that I can't take down. How am I going to take it down? And I contacted someone who we had had a good uh, relationship with. We both spoke at a whole lot of local RIA groups and kind of had an acquaintance relationship and we had just met literally two weeks before to talk about doing some larger multifamily together. And I found the deal, went to him, we brought in another partner, and we were able to take it down just the three of us. So it was just an amazing feeling to be able to, to jump into that space that I'd wanted to do for a long time. Wow. So the two other partners then brought the money? Yes. Basically, you didn't have to raise any additional money. That's pretty awesome. Correct. Raise that kind of money with only three people. Yes. And the great thing about these deals too is, is with these apartment deals, you typically get an acquisition fee. So I got a six figure fee for putting the deal together and bringing it together. Yeah. And then I can benefit, you know, from the cash flow, from the upside when we sell and the asset management of the deal. So for me, you know, it's a, it's a high, uh, you know, 700,000 to $1.4 million deal for me, depending on how long we hold it. Yeah. With no money out of my own pocket. So it was just a, a home run. That's amazing. Hey, so talk for a minute, because you're well-versed in this area. Talk for a minute about how people typically structure JVs in the multifamily space. It really is kind of whatever partners are willing to do. You know, yeah. it, syndication, when you start getting bigger deals where you have to raise money from a whole bunch of people, those have more of a, a standard structure. Mm -hmm. um, when it's a JV and it's just a couple of partners, you really can kind of um, figure out what's a win-win for everybody. And this was no exception. You know, when I came into this deal, I thought, I'm bringing the deal. I'm bringing a great opportunity. I want X percent. Yeah. Well, when I brought partners on and they kind of pushed back and said, you know, this is what's important to me. And it, it wasn't necessarily an alignment, but I understood the power of, of not having to go out and syndicate and being able to create a great relationship with someone that I could continue to do deals with. Yeah. And so I, I had to learn to kind of, you know, swallow my pride and, and negotiate and figure out what's, what's a win for this money partner and what's a win for me. And yeah. so for me, my non-negotiable was I wanted a bigger acquisition fee. And part of that, Ken, is because I had a goal to retire. So I had built up my flips and my rental properties on the side as a side hustle while I worked for AIG for 20 years. Oh, wow. And I knew I needed to pay off a whole lot of debt. And so this deal was going to help me to, to jumpstart that retirement. So I gave them a little bit more ownership than I would have liked, mm -hmm. um, but I still got a great amount of cash flow and I got an acquisition fee on the front end and it ended up being a win-win. And we've now done two additional apartment complexes together. So at the end of mo the month when we close, we'll have 200 units together with just three owners that make a, you know, a great amount of, of cash flow. That's amazing. Now, have you guys had any success um, raising rents yet in the, in the building? 
We have. It's been really great. So we did a five-year projection because typically these properties, if you're going to sell them, you're going to do it in a three to five-year process. And so um, we, by raising rents on every tenant, $75, -hmm. we were able to meet our year three projections. So we basically went in, Ken, and said, okay, these, these buildings are rented at least $100 to $200 below what the complex next door is asking for the same units. Wow. And they're actually the same builder. So we thought, you know, if we put in three to $4,000 per unit, we knew we could raise those rents to at least $200 a month. But we said, let's first try to keep the tenants there, mm-hmm. see if they'll take a $75 increase. And we knew that they would, Ken, because a two-bedroom apartment, if we raise them $75, they could not even move to the apartment complex next door into a one-bedroom for the same rent. No way. So they wow. knew that they really couldn't find as nice of a place for anything more than about 100 to $125 more a month. Yeah. So for us raising them 75 and telling them we're going to do these things for you, mm-hmm. we were able to keep probably 95% of the people that, that we raised the rents on without doing anything or spending any money. Really? So that was the first thing we did. And then as tenants moved out, we went ahead and, and did our up, our interior upgrades, yeah. uh, which we spent about three to $4,000 on, depending on the condition of the unit. And we were able to um, not only meet our projections, but push the rents even higher. So, you know, for example, we had a two-bedroom apartment that was running for $750. we are now getting $995. And so when you do that and you do it across 70 units, you know, yeah. you're forcing the value of that property a million dollars in a year. We've we've already raised sure. the value of that of that thing in ten months, actually. So it's so it's plan, exciting. So the plan is in three to five years, sell it at a six cap potentially. Is that kind of what the market would bear? But at what price? Because you bought it for six five. What do you think you'll sell for? Sure. So we model our our deals as selling in three to five years. However, the beauty of a JV is that if we find this deal to be a sweet, sweet deal, which we we do in terms of our cash on cash return and the money that we're making in the market, we may just decide to hold this thing for 10 years instead of flipping it. And at that point, instead of selling in five years, we would cash out refi, you know, our cash. And then we would just continue to hold it at that newer, higher value. But if we were to sell um, in year five, we would make $3.5 million on that deal, um, all in, cons- you know, including the upside and the cash that we've made over five years. Golly, talk about an amazing cash on cash return. That's nuts. Yes, what a crazy. great oppor- What a great buying opportunity for you guys though. Absolutely. You- so the debt that you put on it, was it just a short term, like a bridge debt or, it- or do you have long-term debt on it already? No, I'm very much a firm believer, especially at this point in the market cycle where I think we're heading toward hypersupply or or recession, not using bridge debt unless it's absolutely, you know, absolutely necessary for just a couple months. So the great thing about these large apartment buildings, which a lot of people don't realize, Ken, is that you can get agency financing like Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, and it's 30-year fixed interest financing. Wow. um, on this particular deal that we bought last December, rates were higher, but we were super excited to get in at just over 5% for 30 years wow. uh, with 25% down. Yep. And the ones we're closing on the 96 units that we're buying now, we're in at 3.74 for 30 years at oh, 75% wow. LTV. So the financing is another reason that these things you know, really cash flow very, very well yep. and make great investments to hold yep. until you get to the point where you're going to sell it and and realize that upside. Yeah, that's amazing. 
So this is your first, um, what's amazing is that your best deal is actually your first multifamily deal. What did you learn kind of through the process? What can we take away from your experience? Sure. I, I think I learned that for a long time, I was kind of a, a lone ranger and I did a lot of flipping and small rentals on my own. And you eventually kind of get tapped out and you can borrow hard money and private money, as you know, like most of us do. Um, but by being able to partner with other people that can each bring something different to the table, it becomes much less stressful and needs a lot less of your own time and money mm -hmm. to be able to make significantly um, larger returns that actually you can bank on for several years than doing this very transactionally and having to find the next deal and find the next deal and doing it all on your own. So I uh, learned really to, to give up a little bit of control and to give a little bit on, you know, my idea of a percentage that I needed in order to create win-wins for everybody. And it's just kind of propelled me to be able to, um, to continue that model to be um, flexible in, in the type of JV partnerships I create um, and really being able to know that I can take down much larger deals, even if I don't currently have the capital to do it. Mm -hmm. And it just gave me that um, another level of fear to overcome, you know, even investing for 20 years and, and knowing real estate you always do the next bigger thing and you're a little afraid, like, can I really pull this off? You know, when right. I found this deal, I thought, can I really <laughs> pull this thing off? And in a small town where everybody knows everybody, you know, you don't want to get under contract and, and not be able to close. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I just said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to get creative and I'm going to find a way to make this deal work. And now that I've done it, it's like, okay, I, I have no more fears. And now I'm doing bigger and bigger deals, you know, not only here, but throughout the country. Yeah. It's like, it's the confidence thing. Like once you, you've proved to yourself that you can do it, then you've got the confidence to go out there and do more, which I think Absolutely. is Absolutely. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, and so the takeaway again, relationships, right? Relationships with the right people, the potential JV partners, people that can bring money into a bigger deal. And kudos to you for building those relationships. Thank you so much. Anna, this was awesome. Thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate it. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. All right. Talk soon. All right, sit tight, you Deal Farm listeners. We've got more coming up in just a second. But for right now, I want you to do something for me. I want you to pick up your phone. Now, if you're driving, just wait till you get to the next stoplight. I want you to go to your Amazon app. I want you to type in Profit Like the Pros. You'll see my paperback book published by Bigger Pockets come up. Okay, now just hit the order button. See how easy that was? Here's the deal, in just two days, you're gonna be enjoying 25 amazing stories of seasoned investors sourcing and funding and profiting from all types of real estate investments. Okay, back to the show, except in this segment, we're gonna talk about the deals that didn't go so well. Hope you enjoy. All right, I'm here with Anna Kelly and we're gonna talk about Anna's worst deal ever. Let's hear it. So my worst deal ever, Ken, was my very first flip. I flipped a property in Houston, Texas, and I had just had a baby three months before, and I wanted to be home with my baby so badly. And all of the very first HGTV house, 
flipping shows had come on and I was convinced that this was super easy. I was going to make a ton of money and I could quickly stay home with my kid. Those so, dumb HGTV shows. Uh, <laughs> they've gotten so much better over time, Ken, <laughs> especially right, yours. Exactly. That's right, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I decided to flip a house in an area of Houston called the Heights. That was a regentrifying area near downtown of a lot of Victorian homes that people were moving back into, fixing up and, you know, buying a house for 120, fixing them up and reselling them for $400,000. These nice oh. little um, Cape Cods and Victorian homes. And so I knew nothing about private money, nothing about hard money. And I went and got a traditional loan on a house that I was going to flip. And so I had a lot of upfront costs, you know, involved with the mortgage and I didn't know any contractors. So my babysitter of my new infant baby, her husband's like, Oh, I'm a contractor and we do construction. If you ever have anything, I said, okay, great. I'm going to buy this house to flip and, and I'll hire you guys to come out and do it. So he brought his crew, most of which were not here legally and didn't speak any English. And they said, okay, we can do this for X number of dollars and it's going to be no problem. And so I drew out the plans by myself, didn't hire an architect. He didn't pull permits. I knew no- nothing better. So we went in and I didn't do market research. I just knew, hey, the Heights, I'm making a lot of money. I'll put 100000 in it. Um, I was going to borrow it from my credit cards and he was going to let me pay him at the end. And what happened was the entire area was like a very walkable area where lots of people were wanting to come in and they were building cafes and restaurants and little shops. And so I was in this great little walkability area, but it faced the parking lot of a grocery store. And what I didn't realize is even though I had bushes kind of hiding the back of the grocery store is they had these huge dumpsters and we bought the property in the winter. And if you know anything about Houston, Texas, not only is it like a hundred degrees starting in May or June, but it's extremely humid. And as soon as we finished the renovations, which took a lot longer than we thought they would, because I didn't really know how to plan for budget and time and any of that, the stench that hit that house every time we tried to show it was like nothing you have ever smelt in your life. It was the, I mean, you want to vomit just walking up to the property because of the stench of the dumpsters at the grocery store. (laughs) And it never crossed my mind. I thought, yeah, it kind of faces a parking lot, but nobody really cares in this area. Everybody just wants to be here. And it was the biggest mistake I made was the location. And then Half a block away, they started tearing down all these Victorian older homes and they started building these new um, duplex and and townhouse style Victorian looking homes and they put them on the market. They They built them faster than I could rehab mine and they were for sale for cheaper than what I needed to get out of mine. And I sat on this property, Ken, from the time I bought it to the time we sold it for over a year. We had a new baby. My husband lost his job during that time. So we had two mortgages, $120,000 school loan, a car payment, a new preemie baby with medical issues, and one job to sustain us. And I thought we were going to go bankrupt. It, yeah. We lost. We, we ended up ultimately, thank God, only losing $10,000, okay. which wasn't attributed to me being financially savvy with the deal. It was yeah. just we got lucky that after all was said and done, we only lost $10,000. But it taught me so much about location, understanding timing and pricing and budgets, hiring people that know what they're doing and are licensed and insured, and um, making sure you knew what was going to happen in that area in terms of building and development um, and and not overextending yourself and relying on, you know, credit cards to to sustain you if something happens. 
because yeah. things do happen that you can't um, plan for. And so I think I made every mistake possible in the book for that one deal. And I learned so much out of it yeah. that in some ways I consider it one of my most valuable deals because of all the mistakes I made and all I learned sure. from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it was a $10,000 education at the end of the day for you. Yes. But you are the poster child for making all the wrong decisions. Too. That's, <laughs> yes, that's amazing. I mean, and I even, you know, I even, um, I, I had a background as a financial advisor. I understood money. I understood financing. But you, you don't know what you don't know when yeah. you're going into something new. Yeah. And yeah. we swore we'd never do another one. And it took us a couple more years to get brave enough to do it again. Really? So yeah. <laughs> yes. you said, well, I mean, I'll be honest. I bet your story is not dissimilar from so many others who they're just so eager to flip a house but they don't know how to go about it. They just buy the first thing and start, they dive in and they, they end up losing money or breaking even and then they sour on it and they never do it again. So it's good yes. thing you, uh, you weren't soured forever. Now Absolutely. Absolutely. That's amazing. Anna, thanks so much for sharing that story. That's pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right, My pleasure. Hey, Deal Farm listeners. If you haven't heard, I just recently released a book through Bigger Pockets Publishing called Profit Like the Pros. If you dig the Best Deal Ever podcasts, you will definitely want to get your hands on this book. I take 25 stories from some of the top investors in the country and distill them down into 25 separate chapters that will not only entertain you, but educate and inspire you in all different facets of real estate investing. From wholesaling and flipping to self-storage, multifamily and commercial, we get into the details of short sales, subject twos, and even land flipping. And whether you're a brand new investor or you have years of experience under your belt, I promise you this book will engage you. If you would, take a minute, go to Amazon and order this book, Profit Like the Pros. And if you like it, please leave us a review. Thanks so much, folks, and I will see you on the next episode of The Deal Farm.